Pages of Pim Better Podcast. What's up, world? Welcome back to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Today, I'm going to deviate a bit from the normal types of conversations that we have about travel and uh, writing and, and world events and things like that. We are going to take a voyage back into my past. Why are we going to do that? Well, today is Sunday, April 2nd, and it is opening day for Major League Baseball. So today, I'm going to share with you my best baseball story. Now, I love stories. Could you tell? I was thinking prior to this episode, like, why do I love stories so much? Is it purely entertainment? Am I, am I living vicariously through the storytellers? Is it some type of a connection back to like, you know, my, my biological past when this was how humans communicated and entertained each other and, and passed on history. And do I have that in my genetics somewhere? I don't know. It could be one of those. It could be all of those. But I am just, I love a good story. I love hearing them and I love telling them. So I hope that uh, this story today brings you a bit of entertainment. So baseball. Why is baseball important to me? Well, when I think of my life in terms of the things that I've been interested in, it's kind of like three acts, which kind of follow the, the three decades that I've been alive. Now, from the time that I can start remembering things, maybe like four or five into my early-ish teen years, baseball was really important to me. Uh, I played t-ball, I played in-house league, and I played a, you know, a travel league and things like that. I was never good enough to make a school team and that's when I kind of lost interest and turned into, you know, towards music. Um, but even then, I loved going to games. It's become part of my travel. Uh, Willie B., who I think I've mentioned on here before, he and I, uh, we have a goal to visit every baseball stadium. We've knocked out a, a good portion of them at this point. Um, but so I say that to say that even today in, in, in my adult years, uh, I love baseball. Now, I was born into a Yankee family. When I was a kid, my dad would always play the games. He would have the games on the radio. My grandfather had tried out for the Yankees. And although he didn't make the team, we have uh, the letter that they had sent him. And, you know, that was a source of pride for us when I was a kid. So uh, big Yankee fan. Now, when I first started watching baseball, it was the early 90s and the Yankees weren't very good. And this is also a time when Players were just, they were cut from a different cloth. You know, I'm sure guys were on steroids then, but everyone's, everyone that watches baseball is aware of like the boom period for steroids, which was late 90s, early 2000s, where guys just, you know, guys like Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, David Ortiz, who in their early years looked quite skinny and just, they just became monsters and their, <laughs> their, their heads swelled up and they looked like physical specimens. When I first started watching, guys didn't really look like that. Uh, the Yankees had guys like Randy Velarde, Kevin Moss, who he would foul off a thousand pitches and then crank a home run or strike out. That's all he could do. Uh, Matt Noakes. Um, guys, guys looked like, like, like brawlers. They had, they had beer guts and mullets and, and everyone had a mustache. <laughs> 
the guys looked different back then. And uh, that time period has like a kind of romanticism or a nostalgia that I look back on fondly. And like I said, the Yankees weren't very good until 1994 when uh, they started turning it around. And that, that year, the Expos looked really good and the Yankees were really good up until the strike. And then, of course, obviously, late 90s, very early 2000s, the Yankees were just completely dominant. Um, in the steroid era as well, I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> Again, uh, you know, you had guys who, Barry Bonds, like every third at bat was hitting a home run. I mean, that's a bit of hyperbole, but you get what I'm saying. So during all of that time, I was fortunate enough to go to some awesome games. And even, you know, late teens, 20s, I've been to some awesome games. I was compiling a list of them, and uh, these, are, these are some of the good ones that I came up with. I was at the 1997 Yankees-Indians playoffs. The Yankees unfortunately lost that series, but I was at the game when Derek Jeter, Paul O'Neill, and Tim Raines went back to back to back home runs. I am a, I'm an 11-year-old kid, and I am in the Bronx, and it is just mayhem, and the skies are raining down beer and toilet paper, and people are hugging each other. There's food flying. It was absolute pandemonium when that happened. I was at the final game of the Yankees-Mets World Series at Chase Stadium. I mean, come on, amazing. I remember the guy next to me in uh, a fit of rage started throwing uh, uh, popcorn and, and hot dogs onto the field when the Mets lost. I mean, these were these are some classic times that I look back on, you know, with, with great fondness. I, more recently, I was at A-Rod's 500th home run. I was at the game when Metallica played Enter Sandman live for Marion Rivera. I think that was 2013. When I was a kid, I got to hit Freddie's pan. If you, uh, if you don't know who Freddie is, he was a guy who was at every game, and he had these signs like with motivational things for the Yankees and, and ways to pump up the crowd. But he had a pan with a, it was a fork or a spoon, and he would bang on it, and he'd walk around, and people would bang on the pan. And you'd hear it on TV, like during a rally. You'd hear ding, 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 ding. So, you know, as a kid, <laughs> in a strange way, that was a minor celebrity for me, so that was really cool. Um, and one thing I can remember as a kid was I always wanted to get a home run ball. I was, uh, I was lucky enough on a couple instances to have a player throw me a baseball. I, uh, John Olerud at a Mets game threw me one. I was at a Yankees Red Sox game at Fenway. Uh, we were, uh, like dead center and during batting practice, Tony Fernandez threw me a ball. But I never caught a foul ball, and I never caught a, a home run ball. And uh, <laughs> this is something as a kid that, you know, uh, I always fantasized about happening. Um, I did want to mention, too, that during this, during the, the, during my early years of, of liking baseball, I had a friend, Phil, and we would spend hours writing homemade letters to players and we would send them a self-addressed stamped envelope and a baseball card in the hope that they would, you know, uh, sign it and mail it back, maybe write something. And maybe one out of 15, if I'm being generous, one out of 15 guys would actually send the card back or, or write something back or say thank you. And, you know, this was, 
This is pre-Twitter and pre-Instagram. Nowadays, people can connect with celebrities and public figures and things like that kind of easily. And someone could retweet you or tweet you back. But, you know, these were the snail mail days where we sent it through the postal service. Um, but this was like, this was another cool way in which it, almost like getting a baseball, you could have a moment of uh, interaction with a player and, and get something cool. So, like I said, never caught a home run ball until my adult years. And this is where this story begins. So in September of 2013, not the game that I mentioned where Metallica played Enter Sandman. Uh, this was uh, September 6, 2013. And I went to a Yankees-Red Sox game with my friend, the Big Dog. He is also named Tim. Now, the Yankees had been in the midst of a playoff push at this time. They were winning games. Uh, they hadn't been really great that year, but it looked like they had a shot at making the playoff. The night before, it was, I believe it was in extra innings, Shane Victorino for the Red Sox had hit a single in, in, in extras and put the Red Sox ahead, and the Yankees lost that game. So this game felt important. Uh, the one that we were at, you know, it's it's the rival Red Sox. Yankees are making a playoff push. Um, where the Yankees had, for many years, embarrassed the Red Sox when the Red Sox went through their curse period. Now the Red Sox were kind of embarrassing the Yankees. The Red Sox were really good in the 2000s and, 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 and still are since that time. But uh, this game felt important. So we were about, I think it was 10 or 11 rows back from the left field wall. Uh, this is a great place to be, you know, during batting practice. So we got there early for batting practice, um, you know, hanging out. And we didn't, we didn't catch any, any home run balls or anything like that during batting practice. But I still love to go and do that like, a, like I'm a big kid. And again, I think that's part of that nostalgia factor where I'm remembering back to that time when I was younger. Now, game starts and uh, Andy Pettit's pitching. He's doing well. The Yankees score eight runs in the first five and give up three. So it's eight to three in the fifth. The Yankees look really good. Stadium's buzzing. And it's one of those games where you feel like, all right, you know, they just need to, Pettit needs to get deep enough into this game where we can get the setup man and, and the closer, or we can, you know, just get one, two innings out of the bullpen. And this game is a wrap. Great. The Red Sox start to chip away at that 8-3 to three lead. And it's funny because where we're sitting, uh, the sun is on you for most of the game. And if you've watched a baseball game and you see an afternoon game, you see that when the shadows come in, like half of the stadium will be blanketed in shadow. And sometimes this affects the pitcher, sometimes it's, it's, it affects the batter. But on this game, without trying to read into this too much, the shadows felt ominous. The shadows kind of, uh, they were creeping in more and more as that lead started getting chipped away. Now, the Yankees are up 8-4 to four in the seventh inning when Mike Napoli comes up for the Red Sox and he hits a grand slam. Now, this is when the Boo Birds come out. 
And this, like, there's this collective feeling in a stadium when things are going well, people are doing the wave, they're happy, they're excited, they're rallying. When things are not going well, especially in New York, and I've been to many stadiums, the only, the only kind of comparable crowd in terms of like a, like a blue collar feel was uh, Dodger Stadium for me. But when Mike Napoli hits this home run, there's like a collective groan that happens and, and, and you can feel the tension. Like, oh, oh God, like if the Yankees lose this game too, what is that going to do to their morale? You know, so people are, people are biting their fingers, they're restless, they're uneasy. We're hoping that this is not the death blow to our playoff push if we don't win this game. So it's 8-8 eight to eight going into the 8th inning. The Red Sox come to the plate. Shane Victorino's up. Right-handed hitter. Uh, if you follow baseball, you know that if a right-handed hitter turns on a fastball, he's going to pull that you know, into left field. We are sitting in left field. So Victorino's up, and we hear a crack. And he hits like a frozen rope line drive towards left field. Now, if you play baseball or, or if you've been to a game and there's a ball coming at you, you know that for a split second, you see it, but you're not sure exactly where it's going to go. And it takes your body a second to register. You see this with outfielders sometimes as they're, as they're, uh, as they're judging if the ball's going to go over their head, if it's going to fall short, before they make like a baseball move towards that ball, they kind of stop for a quick second. So that's kind of what, what the big dog and I did where it looked like, it, could, could this be coming at us? Again, if you've been to a game and the ball's coming towards your section on a foul ball or a home run, you know that everybody starts to stand up, kind of to get a, a better vantage point and to perhaps be better situated to catch that ball. So our whole section in left field starts to get up. And there's like this kind of like, oh, sound as everyone is like, is, is, is in anticipation for this ball coming at them. So this ball looks like it's going to clear the fence. It does clear the fence. It skids off the top of a hand, like three rows down from me, pops off of the hand right in front of me, and plop right into my outstretched hands. So the first thought that goes through my mind is, holy crap, I caught a home run ball. 2013, how old was I? I was 27 at that time. But this made me feel like I was 10 years old. Oh my God, I caught a home run ball. Something I've been waiting to do my whole life. Big Dog looks down on me from his 6'3 frame. And he's like, dude, you caught the ball. And I'm like, dude, I caught the ball. Now, this is important to note. If you catch a home run ball from a Boston Red Sox fan, it's kind of sacrilege to keep that. Did I say from a Boston Red Sox fan? From a Boston Red Sox hitter. It is sacrilege to keep that. And so I'm going through the emotions of like, wow, this is exciting. I caught this. When I start to hear a low rumble in the stadium and I look up 
from the baseball in my hand, and I see the whole section in front of me, to the left of me, to the right of me, they're all staring at me. And that low rumble is getting louder because there are 56,000 pissed off Yankee fans because they blew this big lead and Shane Victorino just hit a home run, which might have ended, put a death to this game and put a death to the playoff push. And they are not happy. And that rumble that started off low, it is deafening now. And they are screaming, throw it back, throw it back, throw it back. And without trying to to exaggerate on this story, there is a guy a couple rows down from us. He's got a beer cup in each hand. He's got his, his date, or whoever she was, with her arm around his neck, like his henchman, and they are glaring at me. And there's spit flying out of this guy's mouth. And he's got these triangular, jagged, candy corn orange teeth. I'm not making this up. This guy looks like a monster. And he's just screaming, throw it back! And the spit's flying at me. And I'm thinking, oh my God. Candy corn teeth is going to murder me. Six, what, 56,000 people in Yankee Stadium are going to murder me. I look up at the big dog and, you know, I've got, I've got mixed emotions. I kind of want to keep this baseball, but I want to be a true Yankee fan and I got to throw it back. And I'm also remembering, hey, at the beginning of every game, they say if you throw something onto the field, you'll be escorted out and you'll be prosecuted. We've all seen this happen when someone jumps on the field. They tackle you and arrest you. Are they going to come tackle me and arrest me? Is that going to affect my career? Am I going to get a record? Seriously, all these things are going through my head in, in, in the seconds that I got to hold this baseball in my hand. And Big Dog's looking at me. He's like, man, you got to throw that back. You got to get rid of that. Like, we're now we're thinking, like, I'm wondering if we're going to be safe. I got to get rid of this ball. So I've got all these thoughts going through my head while Candy Corn Teeth is yelling and the stadium saying, throw it back, and I don't want to get thrown out. But I cock back my arm. Now, the logistics here are important. I am a righty, and I can't remember somebody being on my right side. If there was someone, which there must have been, it must have been a sold-out game. They must have been short. So Big Dog is on my left. And I have to, to kind of qualify this and say that I, I told you this. I played baseball for many years. How about T-ball and you're, you're four or five, let's say five years old? I definitely played until I was 15, so at least 10 years. I can throw a ball. I could play well. But I've got all these thoughts going through my head. And I start to bring my arm forward. And all of a sudden, I hear a clap almost, like a and, and the ball goes straight up in the air, not forward, not the 30 feet that it would have taken to just clear the fence, which is not far, and land on the field, but straight up in the air. And it comes down and banks off the back of my seat, flies back up in the air, I reach out and I catch it again. And I don't know what happened. It, the ball's not on the field, it's in my hands. And I hear the big dog go, ah! 
and he's cursing at me. He's going, why did you do that? And he's clutching his face. What, you, what happened? All I know is the ball is in my hand. Big Dog is down. I still have 50-something thousand people screaming, throw it back. Candy Corn Teeth looks like he's about to break out of his skin and mutate into some sort of creature more hideous and freakish than he already is. And he's got his henchman girlfriend, and she looks like she's about to grab me by the jugular and rip it out. And I think, I got to get rid of this ball. So I cock back my arm again. I launch it forward, and it easily clears the fence, and it rolls onto the field. And now 56,000 people are cheering. I've got a whole stadium of people cheering for me, cheering for the fact that I am one of them. I am, not a, I am not betraying them. I am not a traitor. I did not keep that ball. I am risking getting thrown out or arrested maybe, which, you know, that's, that's not actually going to happen, right? But I, I was like, I'm a, I'm a hero for a second. Thousands of people cheering. Candy corn teeth. He's clapping. Now he's my buddy. He turns around. His henchman turns around. And they sit down. They're not happy. Yankees have, have surrendered this lead. But at least someone in their section is one of their own. So now I look at the big dog. And, I, and he's clutching his face. So I pull his hand down from his eye. And he's got a circular like a hematoma starting, like a mouse. Like if you've ever seen, think, if you're, if you're a fan of combat sports, think Jose Aldo and Mark Hominick. Google this if you don't know what I'm talking about. But Big Dog's got that starting right by his eye, and he's got like a purple mark, the size and shape of a baseball. And I'm like, oh my God. It's starting to register. That when all those thoughts were flying through my head and I tried to throw that ball in the field, instead, my arm whipped across my body at a perfect 90-degree angle, and bam, I hit my friend straight in the face. I, in front of 56,000 people on an ESPN game, botched throwing the ball back on the field. And I could hear the people behind me giggling and talking. And I could see Big Dog clutching his face and cursing at me when I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be on ESPN Not Top 10. I'm going to, be, I'm going to become a meme. This is like the, 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 the Sanchez Jets butt fumble. This is going to be an embarrassment. And actually, now when I look back on it, maybe becoming a meme wouldn't have been so bad. But God... I couldn't even throw the ball forward. I threw it across my body into the big dog's face. Now luckily, or at least at that time, luckily for me, I wasn't on the not top 10. You could see me for a brief second get the ball in the replay, but they didn't show me throwing the ball back on the field. But I did get a pretty sweet story out of this. Big dog did have a uh, pretty solid black eye for a couple weeks. When he went home that day, he sent me a picture of him with some meat from the freezer holding it up against his face. And we worked in the same school at that time. So, you know, we got to kind of embellish this story a bit by, by telling kids a story about how I, uh, I had beat up the big dog. That didn't happen. But that's it, folks. That is my story about catching... Shane Victorino's home run ball 
and throwing it directly into my friend's face. As we predicted, this was the death blow for the Yankees' playoff push that year. They, they were terrible through the month of September and uh, didn't make the playoffs. So hopefully, Yankees, Yankees fans, hope we have a good year this year. It looks like we're going to be pretty good. We've got some really good young talent. Reminds me of when we had homegrown guys like Jorge and Bernie and Jeter. So uh, it's an exciting time to be a Yankees fan again. You know, it's not like the glory days for me. Maybe it's just I'm getting older. Uh, I just There's something about those guys. Where they kind of looked like normal guys playing ball. You know, now you got Bryce Harper and he's got the cool guy haircut. And he's a good player and the MLB is making a push around these new young guys. But uh, I do have a certain nostalgia for those old days. So that's it, folks. Hope you enjoyed my story. I am going to try to get a couple of podcasts in here prior to leaving for Africa. I don't have a whole lot of time. So there will be a span of time when uh, I don't release anything. should be like uh, maybe like two weeks. But then I'll, I'll try to get some stuff out when I, when I come back and we'll talk about Nairobi and stuff like that. So, all right, folks. Looks like spring out there today, opening day weekend. Have a blast. Take care of each other. I will see you or talk to you next time.